I think this platform needs some anointing oil. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it was by a singular providence of God that unbeknownst to me, Don Carson said that the subject of his sermon back in July was going to be temptation. And in August, I told Jessica, I'm going to preach on temptation. And neither one of us knew that the other was going to do this. So there must be a really good reason, as Mr. Wesley would say, a singular providence of God, why we're dealing with temptation twice over this week. One of the first things you learn about the Christian pilgrimage is how different human beings are from God. God has always been. Human beings live and die. God knows all things. You come to seminary, you find out rather quickly, I don't know everything. In fact, one of my students once said, the more you study, the more you know. The more you know, the more you forget. The more you forget, the less you know. The less you know, the less you forget. Why did I start seminary? <laughs> Human beings are bound in time and space. God is everywhere at once and indeed also outside of time and space. God is all-powerful. Our power is decidedly limited. God is spirit and invisible. Human beings are flesh and all too visible. And Paul stresses one more major difference. While all human beings have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God never has and never will sin. All that God desires and does is good. There is nothing evil, nothing wicked, nothing even remotely questionable in God's character. As the prophet says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Hallelujah. There is not even a shadow of turning in God, as the hymn writer says. God is holy and pure, whereas Satan is the opposite of this and is on occasion called the tempter in the New Testament. James puts the matter directly. Let nobody say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. James 1.13 well, then you may well ask, why does it say the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation? I mean, after all, we're praying to God, right? Not to Satan. Lead us not into temptation. Well, as it turns out, the Greek word pyrasmos can refer to either a testing or a tempting. It's an old theological distinction, but a valuable one, that God tests us seeking to strengthen our character, but the devil tempts us trying to destroy our moral character. And since that prayer that Jesus taught us is directed to God, it should probably be translated as follows. Do not put us to the test, Lord, but deliver us from the evil one. Now there we go. 
do not put us to the test, but deliver us from the evil one. This saying reminds us of Jesus' own experience in Luke 4 and Matthew 4 with temptation, and maybe even of Job's testing as well. You see, a test can be seen as a positive experience, even if on occasion we are allowed to pray to avoid it. A temptation, however, always tries to allure or entice someone to do something which is sinful or evil. No temptation is properly called a temptation unless we're at least slightly inclined to do the prohibited action. If someone prohibited me from eating liver, I can honestly say I would never struggle with that temptation. But this leads us to talk about human beings and temptation, and we could go on for days on that subject. And frankly, right now, we are under duress. We are under trials. This horrible pandemic has placed us in the position to give way to all kinds of temptations. Cynicism, skepticism, narcissism. I could list quite a few isms that this pandemic has placed stressors on us in regard to. We're giving way to more self-centered behavior, more narcissistic behavior, more blame somebody else behavior. You see, it's all about how we respond to trials and tests and how we deal with temptations. Here, as human beings, we are on familiar ground. We have not only been tempted, most of us have been the source of temptation for others, whether wittingly or unwittingly. Consider the following example. Under the windshield wiper of his car, a driver stuck a note. It read, I've been circling this block for 20 minutes. I'm late for an appointment, and if I don't park here in this illegal spot, I'll lose my job. Forgive us our trespasses, says the note. When the man returned to his car, he found an envelope with a note from an officer which read, I've been circling this block for 20 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I will lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. We've all been tempted, and we have all been tempters at one time or another. Are you not testing God when you indirectly or directly say to God, okay, God, prove you're real. Bless me, heal me. Make me an offer I can't refuse. Or you say to yourself, I'm not going to wear a mask. To heck with that. I'll just trust the Lord to protect me from that darn virus. Well, you see, friends, that's not only a terrible Christian witness, that's putting God to the test, not least because it involves not considering the effects of your actions on others. It's not all about protecting yourself. This virus is airborne. It can be passed from persons showing no symptoms at all. 200,000 people have died in this country since the beginning of March. 
and close to a million worldwide, and yet we are indifferent or tempted to dismiss it or ignore it. A Christian should never give in to the temptation to be so self-centered that they don't care about the effects of their actions and their bad behavior on others. But friends, you can even put God to the test when we deliberately keep sinning even after we have given our lives to Christ. Is this really normal Christian behavior? Maybe you've come to the place in your life where you feel like sin is inevitable. That temptation seems to be like the Godfather. I'm making you an offer you can't refuse. Let's think about that for a minute. Shakespeare says it's one thing to be tempted. It's another thing to fall. Did you hear that? Being tempted is not sinning in itself. Even Jesus was tempted and he was no sinner. Being tempted is not sinning itself. A wise minister once put it this way, temptation is the tempter looking through the keyhole of your heart, but sin is drawing back the latch bolt of your heart and allowing the temptation to come in and say, let's party. Christians should not be surprised or dismayed about temptations. In fact, if you do a minute's theological reflection, you will realize Christians should especially expect temptations because you're not already on the side of the powers of darkness and Satan has to work overtime on you to get you in his fold. Now think about that again. Christians are more likely to face manifold temptations, not only because their conscience has been enlightened and turned soft by the work of the Holy Spirit, but they're more likely to be tempted because there's powers out there and principalities that know you're not on their side, but they would certainly like to woo you in that direction. Here is where I stress the words of St. Paul from our scripture for today. No temptation has overcome you. Hallelujah. That is not common to humanity or beyond your power to endure by the grace of God such that God can provide an adequate means of escape. Did you hear that? No temptation has overcome you that is not common to humanity such that in the trial, in the temptation, God can provide an adequate means of escape. You know what that means? It means Christians are supposed to live without excuses. They're supposed to genuinely embrace that God's grace is sufficient for me. That God's power in my life is greater than the powers of darkness that may surround me. That greater is he who is in me than any of those forces in the world. And that neither height, nor depth, nor powers, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything in all of creation, no circumstance 
can remove me from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Do you really believe that? Because if you do, the devil's got no chance with you. You have the power and the grace to not merely endure but prevail over temptation. Now I am not saying, and I certainly wouldn't want to be heard to say, that Christians can do this by being like the little engine that could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No, it's not just about your willpower. It's not just about trying harder. It's only by the God, grace of God and the spirit of God that we are upheld in those sorts of situations. So I'm here to ask you today, do you consciously every day say, Lord, fill me with your spirit and give me the grace to know what I need to do and not to do on this day? No temptation need ever overwhelm you. I've often reflected on the passage in Hebrews that says that Jesus was tempted like us in all respects, save without sin. There are two things to deduce from that. Number one, sin is not an inherent quality of being genuinely human as God originally created us. It's certainly an endemic condition for all fallen human beings. But Jesus was not a fallen human being. He was Adam gone right, as Paul puts it. Sin is not an inherent, structured property of being human. Alexander Pope put it this way, to err is human, to forgive divine. Well, erring or sinning may be human for fallen human beings, but we don't want to reverse that equation and say, in order to be human, we must sin. How many popular songs say exactly that? We are only human. Uh-huh. The question is, what kind of human are you? Are you living by the grace of God? Are you following the example of Jesus Christ? One of my spiritual heroes is Corey Ten Boom. And I actually got to meet her once at Gordon, when I was at Gordon Conwell, BC, before cell phone, <laughs> back in the mid 70s. As a young woman, her family housed Jews to protect them from the Nazis in Holland. And one day she was troubled because she knew the Nazis were going house to house looking for Jews. She spoke to her wise father and said, Father, what happens if they come here? And her father said, Corey, when do I give you the ticket for the train? Long before, weeks before we depart, or right before we get on the train. Corey said, well, obviously, Papa, it's right before I get on the train, so I will use it properly and not lose the ticket. He said, so it will be when the Nazis come. If you are called to speak to them, God, in that hour, will give you the strength and the words and help you resist the temptation to say or do something wrong. Think about that for a minute. 
You cannot judge in advance what your strength will be in the hour of trial. Why not? Because God knows you're in that hour and he knows what strength and grace you need to prevail over the trial. It's not just temptation that causes sin. James says there's an internal process that must happen. He says each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire and then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. James 1, 14 and 15. You want to know what the real problem is? The human heart. Jesus in, in Mark 7 says, it is out of the human heart that war and adultery and all kinds of wickedness come. Human desire is the ultimate source of people giving in to temptation. If a temptation does not take root, and we have a choice about that, then we have won that battle against that temptation. Deliberate capitulation to temptation and sin is not inevitable. When I was in seminary, there was a young man who borrowed Richard Lovelace, our church history professor's car, and wrecked it. He went to Professor Lovelace, very downcast, and said, I'm ever so sorry, Dr. Lovelace. The devil got hold of the steering wheel and I crashed into a telephone pole. I got news for you, friend. The devil was not driving that car we must not make excuses about our sin. We are supposed to be Christians who by the grace can live without excuses and overcome deliberate intentional sin. There was a girl in my university group in the 70s at Carolina. She was a brand new Christian, had not studied theology, had not gotten her shtick together and in her testimony, she said, the way I see it, it all works out very well. I like committing sins. God likes forgiving sins. Whoopee! If you think it's easy for God to forgive sin, look at the cross. It cost him the life of his only begotten sin. We should never trivialize the seriousness of sin just because there is also forgiveness. Paul, in Romans 7, 8, speaking as Adam, says this, Sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all sorts of negative desires. It's the desires of the heart that ultimately live to, uh, lead to the giving way to sin and temptation. Paul juxtaposes the desire for intimacy with God with the desire to sin. You see, it's through the internal transformation of the desires of your heart that you can overcome sin in your life. So my question for you this morning, right here, right now, is... What is your deepest desire? 
What are the desires that motivate your behavior, your spending, etc.? Is your deepest desire to know Christ and be transformed into his image? I'm not talking about giving lip service to this in church. I mean, really, down in your pee-picking heart, what is your deepest desire or desires, plural? Is your desire to worship the Lord your God in a better and bold way? Is your desire to be more like Christ? Is your desire to put away all of the worldly glitter and approbation and say to yourself, the one thing I look forward to in the future when I see Jesus is hearing these words, well done, good and faithful servant, inherit the kingdom. If that's the desire of your heart, all of the rest of the glitter and gold of this life fade into less significance. How then shall we have victory over temptation? Well, there are many remedies, one of which is simply get away as far as you can from the source of temptation. The problem is this, friends. Sometimes when the preacher says, flee sin, we flee but leave a forwarding address. Bob Roberts tells the story that appears in a Maryland newspaper of a family who lived outside of Darlington, Maryland on a farm. And they had been visiting next door and their children were visiting with the next door neighbor's children. And when Bob walked in the front door of the house, he saw his five young children sitting on the floor of the new carpet in that house each of them holding something small and wriggly and black and white. And at first he thought, how cute, kittens. But then on closer inspection, as the Bible says, his countenance fell because it was skunks. And he yelled instinctively, children, skunks, run! At this point, each child picked up a skunk and ran. It's no good fleeing temptation while taking it with you. It's no good if we take that which stinks in our life with us to our next destination. Is that you? John Wesley used to also advise people to get yourself so involved in God's work and good works that you've really got no time for temptation. You wear yourself out in the service of God. This is a good Puritan lesson he learned from his mother, Susanna, who used to regularly say, idle hands are the devil's playground. Now there's more, than, more truth to that than poetry. It is certainly true that in our culture, which has far too much leisure time on its hands, there is times for all sorts of non-essential activities that distract us from God. And with the internet, Lord have mercy, there is constant temptation to not keep our eye on the prize. John Wesley would say to us, prayer, fasting, Bible study, good fellowship, family activities, good worship, good works are all things that help us avoid temptations. Temptation is a huge subject. 
and there is no end of evidence and examples to consider, not least because all of us are good at sub succumbing to it. But I would simply leave you with this thought. God is greater than the scope of our temptations. His power is greater than that of the nefarious one. And we can indeed claim the great promise in our text, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to humanity, such that with the temptation, God can provide an adequate means of excuse. If that is true, dear friends, we should live without excuses. One more thing. Sometimes when you come to seminary, as I did, you'll have a dream of ministry all planned out in your head. This is the path I will pursue. This is the ministry I will go do. This will be good and I will be blessed again and again in that task. But sometimes there is the temptation for a genuine Christian to fall in love with their dream of ministry more than they fall in love with Jesus Christ. And friends, that's idolatry. If that happens to you, God will require of you your dream of ministry so that you will place the right emphasis on the right syllable and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and say, Lord, wherever you want me, wherever you send me, I will go. And all God's people said, let's pray. Lord, we know, especially in the internet age, especially in the age of a pandemic, there are all kinds of temptations that we might succumb to. We ask that we might have the strength, the grace, and the power from you to stand and withstand, putting on the full armor of Christ and resisting the devil, for you have promised that if we do that, he will flee. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.